So grab your Bibles, if you would, uh, or your phone, whatever it is you'd use. We are, if you haven't been with us on a regular basis, we're going through the a book that we refer to as First John, and you can help me out if you've been here. So First John, it's not a trick question, who wrote it? John, right, good job, okay. Who do you write it to? People, okay, what kind of people? Church, church people, right, the, the, the early, early believers he wrote in the first century. So we've been going through that. Um, now I can tell you, for me, I'd, I'd love to be a man, and you can read into this whatever you want, more led by the Spirit. And in this, in this situation, the danger is you tackle a book, right? All of us get together, we're like, okay, we're going to study First John together. And then you, you try to hammer through it as quick as you can, right? Because that's like the task-oriented person. I don't want to be the task-oriented person. I want to be the Spirit-led person. And so last week, um, you can turn to First John chapter 4. So last week... Um, sometimes what's been happening is I feel like the Spirit just sort of gives me pause and says, you know, there's some more questions you need to ask about this before you go on, Will. And so God and I, we, we sort this out. I try to get into the Scripture, pray, um, watch life around me, and hopefully it's helpful rather than just going from one verse. We ended at this verse this Sunday till we've got to go to verse 5 the next day, right? No, not necessarily. So a couple of verses here. First John, if you look at verse 7, uh, one thing that it said, and we talked about this last week, John's telling the early Christians, and keep in mind, this is the third time in this short letter that he's drawing their attention back to loving your neighbor as being one of the most important things you do if you want to follow Jesus, okay? So he says this, let us love one another, for love is from God. Two things there. One, it's, it's this directive to say, hey, you want to be a Christian, you're going to need to love your neighbor. You've got to love one another. You've got to love your brother and sister. You've got to love, not, not in just feeling, but in action, right? It's a, an action word here. We keep coming back to that truth. And then he tells us that this type of love comes from God. So that's important. And then if you uh, fast forward, if you will, to verse 11, okay? Uh, verse 11 and 12, it says this, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's, we'll talk more about this. Let me just pray. Lord, I, I ask for your guidance, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would... Give me your words, um, regardless of what I've planned, that I would be sensitive to what you're doing and, and how you're working in the hearts and minds and souls and lives of the men and women who you've brought here today. We trust you, God, that you're the one that opens our, our mind to the truth. You're the one that, that teaches us all things and makes come to life and, and reveals all the truth from these letters written by your early father, early early followers, and the fathers of the faith. So, Lord, just bless our time together and teach us. Amen. Okay, so this word here, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. This is kind of what we focused on last week. This is where we need to pause and talk about this a little bit. First of all, here's the danger, guys. I've been in church 
my whole life. Okay? I jokingly like to say I was born in the nursery or something. You know, that's how it feels. So it's easy when you've been in the church your whole life to get this kind of directive. The guy who's speaking to you tells you this is what God says to do and you should do it. Right? You've, you've, been, you've been to that sermon, right? Okay. This is what, you're, what the Bible says, now, now do it. That's true. It's true and, and it's good, but it's always not. It's not always maybe the most effective thing that the Spirit's doing. Okay, um, so let me just tell you straight off: this is what what John is saying, who walked with Jesus, who at this point had you know decades and decades of experience walking out this faith amongst people. He's like, man, when when. Jesus left, he left his ministry to us. And what you're supposed to do, just so you know, this is what you're signing up for, okay? Not small print, let's put it in big print. You are supposed to love others. Love others. So I have to give that to you, but here's the danger. If you've studied the Bible or been in church, if I say Galatians 5, what do you think about with that? Galatians is a book. What's that? What is it? Fruit of the Spirit. Spirit. Awesome. Yeah, that's what, thank you. I planted that. I didn't plant that. That was right. Fruit of the Spirit. So what that means is if I'm filled with the Spirit, this is what comes out of me, right? Awesomeness in, awesomeness out. Love is one of those awesomeness out things that only comes from when the awesomeness of God comes in. So anytime you take that list, which is fruit of the Spirit, and you say, I'm going to be this, we should all laugh at you and make fun of you because you will not be this outside of the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit in you. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be, lo- no, no, no. That comes from being filled with the power of God and it, it, it comes out of you. It's, it's not natural. It's supernatural. It's beyond natural. So when I say God says love other people for you to say, I'm going to do it. Ah, ha, ha, you, you're not going to, Right? We're teaching it wrong if we do that. So for us to say this, and this is even more powerful right here, that John says this. He says, God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected, is the word that they translated, the English word. And really the the Greek word it's translated from could mean uh, to make complete, uh, to fulfill to accomplish, or to make perfect. So wait, so get this, Ross, kind of weird, right? So God, the creator of all things, the most powerful source of life, no end, no beginning, like there's word, words don't even describe him. The love that he wants to give to us is only completed when his people share it with the world. That's a lot of pressure. That's more pressure than staff in the nursery and preschool for you guys that I'm just putting on you. So let me give you another scripture. Here's the little note. You might want to make some notes if you want so that you can go read this later. But John 17 is a pretty popularly used scripture. And what it is, it's Jesus basically praying to the Father like before he's going to be crucified, right? Uh, Some people will call it the high priestly 
prayer, but he goes through this whole dynamic, and let me just give you my Cliff's notes on it. What Jesus was basically saying, what, we've, what I've seen from, from understanding this, is you understand God the Father was spirit, okay? And he made all of us. And since we stopped walking with him in the Garden of Eden, since sin took us away and made us blind to things that are spiritual, we're limited by either seeing physical things in our, in our, in our um, relationship with spiritual things is one of two things. We either feel it, or we feel the impact of it. As a matter of fact, the word spirit could be, is like wind and breath. You can't see my breath, but you'll smell it if I get close enough to you, right? And I drink coffee. You, you will not see it, but you'll experience it. You'll, you'll feel it. And so what happened is God was always using, if you look at the Old Testament, he was always using what to share his messages in love? What was he always using in the Old Testament? What? Say, say people. Say people. People, right? So you look at it from the beginning, right? They had kings and prophets and teachers and judges, right? And the disciples and priests and all these people because it was a spiritual thing that was going on. And when the spiritual hit the physical, it created ministers for God to share his truth. But all these people were insufficient, come the close of the, what we call the Old Testament. And so God's like, hold my coffee, I'm going to do this. And he comes down in human form. And this is Jesus talking, right? God comes, full man, full God. And what he does is he shows us in a physical, tangible way who God is. As a matter of fact, his followers kept saying, when do we get to meet the Father? And he said, if you've met me, if you've been with me, if you've seen me, if you've been loved by me, then you've seen, known, and been loved by the Father. He took the spiritual, he brought it to us in the physical, and did what? He was completing it. Well, John 17 is this weird time because what's happening is now Jesus is going to leave us physically. And what he's pleading with the Father is a couple things there. One is like, he's like, listen, Father, while I was here, I did this. I was you for them. I protected them from the evil one. I shared with them all truth. I showed them your love and who you are, right? And the world could see that I was from you by the way that I loved. And so now that I'm leaving, it's back to you, Father, that you would take care of them, protect them from the evil one, show them your love, lead them in all truth. And the way in which the Father planned to do that, that Jesus shared with his disciples was what? Is by how is he going to do that? Holy Spirit, right? Back to spirit, right? You're not seeing him. You're, you're feeling him and seeing his work in the world around you. So when you feel him and you see his work in your life, then it's your job as the carrier of that spirit to do what Jesus did. Wait a second. Okay. Um. I want to use a word that's probably not appropriate, but you can't half do this. Jesus couldn't half do this, but we've got a world full of Christians that half do our faith, and even the pastors like me really half do this. And no wonder it's in shambles. You see that? You can't, if I've got to be Jesus for the world, if I have to reflect the love of God and who he is to the world, I don't half do that. 
Anything short of Jesus is not good enough. Oh, well, this is a feel-good sermon. Okay. But for me, just, okay, let's stop now. Now you go be Jesus to the world, right? That's the end of the sermon? No. Um, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. That's what Jesus said in verse 23 of John 17. So the problem is we're supposed to love like God. And the word agapao, right, is this. That's the uh, Prescott Valley accent version of the Greek word to, to, to mean you performing the action of God-like love, right? So what keeps us, if it's so important, right? If part of God's plan is that the Holy Spirit would live in you and I, that God would live in us, and then we would, we would bring God to the world that needs him. But we can't do the first thing he wants us to do, which is love like he does. What keeps us from loving like God? Our flesh? Yeah. Yeah? Our flesh, she said, that's, that's a great answer. Our self. Well, ultimately, you understand this. This kind of love, agapao, right? And I, and I said this kind of, uh, kind of flippantly about like, I gave you the examples of, of kids who before you realize as a kid how messed up your parents really are, if you have good parents even, you trust them like 100%, and you feel safe. But as you become an adult, even those people closest to you, spouses, family members, friends, you still only give so much trust to them. You still hold back, right? And, and so that's a love short and less than the love of God. Our, our best examples are, are probably the way that we love our kids is the closest we get, and hopefully the way we love our spouse if we're given to that. Those are probably our, our, our best shots at trying to be a selfless, sacrificing love. But anyone who's married or is a parent will tell you we fall short in that. Okay? The problem is this, at a base level, I made a note here, but let me just speak from my heart. At a base level, this love cannot be duplicated by you alone in your flesh because its only strength is on the person who gives that love. Meaning this, that kind of love has nothing to do with the person receiving its character, has nothing to do with their, uh, their ability to earn it or worthiness. It doesn't, they don't have to be beautiful enough or strong enough or smart enough or well-behaved enough. There's nothing like that. This is the type of love that Jesus had that even when he was being killed by these guys, nails through his hands, right, his feet, um, a spear in his side, he was loving the people killing him while they killed him. That is not the type of love that you and I give to other people for the most part in our own flesh. So for me to, to challenge you or assign you the, the task of loving like that is cruel and impossible. So at a base level, duh, you can't love like that. Not in your own, not consistently. Side note, people who are pretty good at sacrificial love, what they end up doing in their own flesh is they end up creating a, a, what I would call a martyr complex in themselves. So they start to feel sorry for themselves because they're always sacrificing for everyone else, right? And, and then they do things like make everyone feel guilty. That's that trick. Or they're depriving themselves so much that they end up going to very addictive things. Like most of the time I'm sacrificing, but then when I really need to come down and do something for myself, I do, I go, go hard, right? 
So even the people you know around you, like, oh, they're always so nice. and Yeah, yeah but they're probably using uh, manipulation and fear and guilt and, and shame, which even though they might not be, you know, doing the big sins your culture will talk about, those things could be more destructive than addiction at times, okay? Um, so this agapao love, this love's been given to us. And some of us in the church might say, we've got to reflect that love, right? Or, or um, share that love with the world. But the hope is this, if you and I began to receive that love of God, at a level on which it's been given to him, right? So I think that's the first part, no matter where you're at. I mean, I suppose some of you aren't even sure that Jesus is real in here, right? I'm sure there's people here that are doubting that. And I don't mean that to condemn you. Maybe you've, maybe you've grown up in the faith. It's not working. The faith you were given is not working. Or people online might be seeing, feeling the same way. Some of you are so convinced that God is real. And there's everyone in between, right? And, and so... Some of you have, are having issues with, with uh, sin, addictive patterns. Other of you are in denial that you even sin, right? And somewhere in between. So in that, every one of us have to know this, that, that get this, at a base, okay, use your intellect for a second. Use your intellect, use, use logic and reason here. I know that doesn't belong in the church, right? But it does at times. If I'm offering you a love that you don't have to earn and has nothing to do with you, what are the qualifications? What are the prerequisites to getting that love? Nothing. 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 What, what the Bible says is once we trust in God, we become his and we receive that love that's there. But God's love for his creation is already there before you receive it. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that on the day of judgment, people will be thrown into the lake of fire that God loves. Because everything that he created, he loved. And probably for a lot of them, the issue is not because they couldn't behave right, but because they could never accept his love. And when you never accept his love, you can't get to step two. And if you can't do step one, receiving his love, you will never be able to do anything else we talk about here. Anything else in the scripture. Like You're going to be out of luck. So, first of all, acknowledge it with your mind now. Okay, I get this, right? If this love from God, which I've been rejecting because I feel like I'm not behaving enough, forget that. You don't have to behave to get God's love. Once you get God's love, it will change your behavior, or it should. We've got to get the foundation first and everything else that builds on that. So, this love that comes from God, once you can realize that, then I think the prayer, and some of this might, for some of us, this might be just where we're at. Lord, I need to realize before I can even go out with your love to the world, I've got to get it first. I know it sounds selfish, right? Because churches, we have evangelism programs with flyers and stuff that you go tell people about a God that you say is awesome even though you don't believe he is. A testimony is not a religious thing. A testimony is basically someone saying, this is what I saw and this is what happened to me. If you didn't see anything, and if nothing happened to you, you've got nothing to say. And I would actually appreciate if you would say nothing instead of lie. Okay? So this type of love, once you realize it's there, 
then you realize that, it, that you have that opportunity to repent from life without, without Jesus, right? And, and come to a saving faith with him and then ask him to help you walk with him. And what he gives you is his full presence in you, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will help you understand and experience and realize the true love of God. And that Holy Spirit is also the only way, Mike, that we're going to love one another on a consistent basis in an unconditional, sacrificial way like Jesus did. It's like, you know those Tesla cars? I knew someone that rented one. And they drove from Phoenix to Prescott, like, and they couldn't drive back home without stopping to charge again. Yep. Right? Yep. So... Okay, so yeah, you've got to charge that. You don't just charge once and you're good. And that's the problem with our faith. We think you said one sinner's prayer and you're always going to be loving. That's not true. You're going to have to plug into the source, the power of that love on a consistent basis. And and then what John was going on to saying is is what you should be looking at and you should be asking yourself is like, wow, okay, I believe in you but I know that the enemy only wants to bring doubt. So how do I know that I'm, that I'm in Christ and that I belong to him? And he said, this is one of the things. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you love like God, you can only do that if you have the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you're loving like God and you're agreeing with him on how to live in love, then you're his. Okay, so there's, there's the opinions. Now, what keeps us, honestly, from being able to stay in that? I, I know we've got to connect with God. So obviously, if we don't connect with God anyway, like we don't care about what he says or thinks, we just want to wear our, our Christianity as like a t-shirt and not as something that we take seriously. Good luck and ever loving like that, sure. But, but John addresses this too in verse 18 and 19 of 1 John 4. And it says this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. There's the answer. You know why we're unable to love like God? We're afraid. We're afraid. And why are we afraid? Because we haven't had let the love of God do its full work in us. Because if it did its complete work, we would know in our hearts and in our minds that we could love others because we have everything that we need and we have nothing to fear. I wish I could, I wish I could understand this 100% and realize it 100%, and experience it 100%, so I could somehow help you to understand that, and see that, and experience that 100%. But here's what I realize. It's true, if if the perfect love, if, if I realized it, I received it, I'd have nothing to be afraid of. Right, Josh? Because... What could anyone do to me? They, they could kill me. What happens to a Christian when they die? They go home. They could say bad things about me. Well, the Bible says that's a blessing. I, 
could get sick, I could struggle financially, I could struggle physically. The older I get, the shorter 10 years is. The older I get, the younger 70 is. Right? Right. And the 70-year-old's like, 100 sounds pretty young to me right now. (laughs) And so even if it took 100 years of it not going my way, wouldn't it be worth eternity? And the perfect? So we're afraid. We're afraid because we don't trust God. Or what we know of him, we don't think we, we like, if that makes sense. So if we, if we believe that God really had our best interest at heart, if we really believe that God had the power to do that, then what's stopping me from loving you in a sacrificial way? And honestly, this is going to take in a real practical basis, and that's why we're meeting together. That's why we have a building, that if there's a, a thing that God's calling you to do, during the week that gets together, that reminds everyone around you that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, that he's here for you. That's why we do this. Not because this is a holy place, but you got to remember that he loves you so that you can have any love to share with anyone else. And if you don't get that first step down, so everything we do here should be so that we can make loving worshipers of God. We're like, he loves me so much that I can love you. He loves me so much I don't have to hold back. He loves me so much that I don't have to protect myself. Because when we have to do this being like Jesus thing, it's like a zero. It's a pass-fail, guys. It's like, but the pass is 100%. We're either him or we're not. See, perfect love casts out fear. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? If I was being loved without condition, Brandy, if there, Brandy, if there was no condition to how I'm being loved, then no matter what I did, that love would not go away. So even today, if I make the wrong decision, I would know that this loving God would still have me and still take care of me and still direct me in the right way. Even if it hurt today, even if it went wrong today, even if your intentions for me were bad, I'd be more like Joseph, right, with his brothers who they sold him off into slavery to pretend just to be killed. He's like, what you guys meant for evil, God used for good. And the life of a Christian is that. It doesn't matter what the world intends for you. It doesn't matter what the people around you intend for you ultimately because God will use it. And then what if that type of perfect love was created by someone powerful enough to really do what he said? Man. So Heidi, we've known each other a long time, but to try to grasp that, i got to look at human terms. Now, when I was a kid, if you would have known me when I was like 10, I wasn't much smaller than I am now. You would have suspected I would have been a door of a man, right? Like the guy who fills the door when he walks through it instead of an angry-looking hobbit, right, like that I am now. But So when I was small, I didn't have to get into a fight because I was big enough that everyone knew not to mess with me. And I seemed to have tons of friends who were small who would hide behind me. And some of you bigger guys know what that's like. You're like, yeah, you just look at them, and they know that you're strong enough to do the thing that you said you would do to them. And I get that. Like the little friend who would hide behind me, this is how I am to God, because he is strong enough, he is powerful enough to do what he says. So if that's true, what do I have to be afraid of? But then the question is, do we know, I want to take a little time, and I'm going to like, 
machine gun some verses at you. So this is why I'm saying you might want to write this down because do we even know what it is that, that Jesus is promising us? Because I think we lose track of that. And you've heard these before, but I want to remind you. Okay? So the first one here is one thing that God said is he will always be with you. And here's some verses. Matthew, in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, And behold, I'm with, with you always to the end of the age. He's with us till he returns to bring us home. John 6, 37. Uh, or that's when Jesus said, All that the Father gives me or gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. It's that promise that if you come to him, he's not going to cast you away. James 4, 7 through 8, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And then we'll kick it old school with Deuteronomy 31, 8, and... And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you and will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I mean, that's that, that's that promise. See, I think the problem is we don't, we don't go to him. Everything here has this action of we've got to go to him. So everything that we're doing here is going to him. We got to go to him because only only he is the source to love like this. Only he is the source of confidence. But if we come to him, he doesn't shut shut the door on our face. If we come to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Here's another fun one for you. Jesus promised us, God promised us persecution. This is what's funny about our time. I mean, no one can deny that, that people of faith And people who love democracy hate what's going on in the world around us, right? And people who love both and are always watching the news really hate both of these things. But the thing is, we have to come back to that, right? We can't lose our faith in God because circumstances are going bad. As a matter of fact, thousands of years ago, they called it. Right? So when you see that, you're like, well, that's stupid. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it always will be, and it always has been. Persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Well, let me give this to you because when I think of persecuted growing up, I'm thinking about getting like beat up and killed. And in America, it's so subtle because no one's killing you. As a matter of fact, they give us a tax-exempt status for our fellowships, right? They make it real cushy for us and it's not working. I think I'd like to get punched a little bit, so I actually had to work for my faith. Instead of to have to be inconvenienced to even go to church on a Sunday, right? Like, we've gotten so spoiled. Our, I believe that our persecution right now at this time isn't as, much, isn't as much like physical beating as it is our ideas and our ideals are being questioned. And so in this reset that I was talking about in the churches, here's another thing that you have. You have people fleeing their churches... Um, and they care less about what you believe about God, right? About truth, and more about your ideals for Christian worldview and culture. And that's wrong. That's wrong. It is. Like, look at the example of everyone who went before us Paul, Jesus, all the disciples, they ran into this. And they experienced physical persecution. But you and I get the persecution of a world that thinks we're foolish. That thinks we don't know what life is. 
that we're either ignorant or stupid or deceived. That our thoughts are old or, or hateful or non-compassionate. That is the persecution. So when you get that type of reaction, you don't get your gun and say, I'm going to shoot you for thinking that. You laugh and say, this is exactly how it should be. Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. John 15, 19 through 20. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I choose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Jesus is like, man... I couldn't change. I wasn't there to change the culture. I didn't run for king. Like, I'm here building a kingdom in heaven. And the kingdoms of earth will always hate the kingdom of heaven because they're in competition. And even if the kingdom of earth, just like King David, says they're for God, ultimately they're for themselves. Ultimately, the failing will happen. Even David, the man after God's own heart, was a murderer and an adulterer, and his kids were a mess. Okay? But Jesus was a man building a kingdom, and that's what we're about. If I thought that it was more important he did that, I would run for governor instead of be your pastor. But for me, I'm grateful that God has called people into politics to share his views. But that is not the end game. The end game is they will lose that, that battle they're trying to fight. They will. You get that, right? But we will win the battle we're fighting because we're with the Lord and building his kingdom. And today is a chance... For the world to change because in the hearts and minds of the men and women who live in it. Those that bear the image of Christ. Next thing, another feel-good thing. Jesus promised us trials. Oh, wait, this is going really bad, Rick. Will, you're giving us all this bad stuff. I really wanted to feel good. Trials. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Woo, it's like trials with purpose. Because you understand just because someone says, yay, Jesus, doesn't mean they're for him. The way that you know is time. Those who teach false, say false, lie, pretend to be what they're not, they will be found out in time. So trials is what does that. I can say right now in my life, there's certain things, there's like a, man, I got like teenage kids and gray hair in my beard, right? And I'm almost making noises when I sit down, oh, right, Ben? I'm getting older, okay? And with that comes some reality of the expectations and the thoughts and plans that I had for my life will never go the way that I thought they would. And that is good. And there's trials that I'm facing, right? And persecution, even from people who call themselves Christians in my church because I don't agree with their ideals, 
Like, I'm facing that. So there is this mourning because what's happening is your idols are being murdered. Your idols, the things you rested on, were being murdered. So the only thing you can grab on is Jesus. But when you're feeling that, it's hard to stay there. It's hard to stay there. So someone's got to tell you, you will be persecuted. You will face trials because it's going to, one, it's going to purify your faith and prove you have faith. And it's going to teach you, and you're going to learn, and you're going to grow, and you're come out the other side as if purified by fire. Like, this is good and right. If you're there with me, yay. Let's keep going. Let's not, because it's getting hot, to pull out. There's a whole lot more safe places to go, intellectual hiding places in Christian culture. You can go and say, Will's crazy. I'm going to go find a church that preaches my ideals, my Christian worldview. Go ahead. That's cool. Because you know what I'll be doing here is not that. With all the love that I have for you, okay? And I don't think that's a hell and heaven dividing line, but I think you're missing the mark. Oh, now this, is, this feels better. Okay, now I can breathe a little bit. Okay, hope. He also promised rest. But it's not the world that gives it to you. Notice that before we get into the scripture. It's not the world that gives to you. Then Jesus said, come, there's that come to me thing again. Huh. There it is like the, uh, why does, why does the fellowships exist in North America for Christians? There's got to be the come to me places for Jesus, right? To be reminded to be supported. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. What's so powerful about that? Not only is that promise of rest, But it's that promise that I could have rest and trials, tribulations, and testing all at the same time, right? Persecution. Like, I come in out of that battle to some kind of resting place. It's like David in Psalms, right? The the conflict was not God, but, but his God took him, our God took him to lay beside still waters, to find that resting place. But we have to come to him. We have to trust him. You can create all the wellness retreat centers you want, but if you don't come to him, you will not have real rest. You'll have rest you try to manifest and manufacture. And then he promises another thing, which is probably even more important than anything else I've said so far, is this idea of new life. John 10, 10, very popular. You could probably quote it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I came so that... They would have life and have it abundantly. It's like this starting of abundant life when you meet Jesus. More than you need. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Like you have a new life. The old has passed away and it hurts when it dies, right? But behold, the new has come. In John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he die. And get that. You don't have to be feel like that. You don't have to feel the new life in you. Like, oh, I just can run for. No, you're dying. Like every one of you from 13 months to 130, you're dying at different rates. Your body, the world around you, the birds, the trees, 
Like it's, it's all passing away because God's going to make this new thing with the absence of sin. But he's starting now in you and I by transforming us from the inside. So that there, I could keep going, Corey, for like a week, man, with just scriptures about these promises um, until my voice was gone completely. But here's a powerful one. And here's why in church, maybe they give you an envelope where you're like, Bible read daily, right? And everyone's like, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd rather read the Hunger Games or whatever, you know. Um, this right here is huge. And, and once again, we've outsourced that to professional ministry people. Would you just read the Bible... Jeff, would you just read the Bible to me, understand it, and then by osmosis transform me? This is what we want. But what happens is the Holy Spirit that lives in us, right? The Spirit of God is the one that Luke 24, 45, it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The disciples, they didn't get what they were reading. And then the Holy Spirit is the one that illuminated, and it's like, whoa. That's what you were saying this whole time, God. And so I think you and I have to keep that kind of in our pocket that even some sermon is going to be incomplete for the full goodness and richness that comes from God, from his scriptures to speak to you for this circumstance. But it's the Holy Spirit that will open up your minds. And even at times, you could read the same verse a thousand times over the years. And then once it hits you, it hits you. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So I would encourage you, if you need more encouragement of what Jesus is promising you if you trust him, that you would search that out yourself. Because what I've given you is a very incomplete snapshot. Okay? Okay, let me put this, bring this back in my, my words, okay? The Lord is never fooled. He's never fooled. Or surprised, or out of control all of a sudden. There's nothing that happens that he cannot stop if he chooses. Like, that's, that's a fact. There's nothing that happens that he cannot stop if he so chooses. And, and get this, he takes our good choices... He takes our our bad choices. He takes all the bad stuff that people do to us, the the bad things, the circumstances that happen to us. Yeah, your house burns down. Did God do that? I don't know. But it happened. Will God use it? If you trust him, yeah. The people you lean on in your life, what if they disappoint you? What if they don't hold up to their end of the bargain? Did that surprise God? No. Then all of a sudden he's like, oh, dang, Jill, what are we going to do now? Yeah, I mean, how many times has God said that? Oh, dang, what am I going to do now? Never. Never, okay? Never. Not like, but you don't understand my life, Will, this. I don't, but he does. So, He can use all those things, right? The trials, the tribulation, and the blessing. And all of those make up our our life. And all of those direct us down our path. And that's why, Ross, I thank you for being 
you know, humble enough to say this up front now that we know this is happening because we, we don't know life's journey and we think we have it mapped out, but we have questions. And here's one example in our midst of someone with these questions and, and the spirit moving in them and like, what do you want to do, God? And then to be able to come and share, like God is answering He is speaking, he is directing, he is leading. And if you walk in obedience, like, wow, then he could do something with it. And when you walk in disobedience, you've got to circle back around again. Let's try this again. We'll we'll get there. So the question that I, I asked myself, and I would invite you to ask too. Okay, so all of that, all these blessings of God, the fact that Jesus will never leave you, forsake you. He's with us to the end of the age. The end of the age, he'll take us to be physically with him. We're covered. Do I believe that is true? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no. Do I believe, really believe in such a way that I, I put weight into it? That I put confidence in it? And if I believe God isn't fooled and that he'll do that, and I do believe that, then the next question is, but then do I really think that, that God's plan is, I'll say it this way, do I really want what I think God has planned? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. And this with talking to people, and this with talking to myself, taking myself by hand, right, and talking to myself a little bit, this can be probably a bigger struggle. Because some sort of distant, ethereal God, I can believe that he's capable of all things and all powerful and all control. But from the first man and woman to me and everyone in between, we've all struggled with the same thing. Is God holding out on you? Right? But, but God said not to eat that fruit. Did he really say that? Well, yeah, because I'll surely die. No, I don't think he'll surely die. I just think he's holding out because if you ate that fruit, you'd be like him. You know, you're right. God's offering me something, but it's like buffet food. And I want to feast. I can't believe you just said that. Well, I can't believe I just said that true. But that's, that's the reality that we face. We've got to surrender because our minds, our wills, our desires have been, have been uh, distorted and colored by the world we live in, generation after generation. And the truth is, it's like, man, are you going to handle your money right? Are you going to be dishonest? Are you going to be generous? Well, do you believe God takes care of your money? How are you going to handle your sexuality right? Do you believe there's a holy way to be sexually satisfied as a man or a woman? Are you going to stay, if you get married, will you stay into, for life? Do you think it's better that you stay in a, in a marriage even when it's not going well than, than to leave it and try again? Like, whatever you believe about those things will be your actions. Do you believe that, you know, do you, I mean, you, it just, it goes across the board, it's right, right? Because we, we live in this culture where I say I follow Jesus, but the things that he's saying, I don't necessarily believe. And when we don't believe that, we compartmentalize our life where I trust God in this, but not in this. And so the one area I, I don't trust him, it always ends up bleeding over into that loving others thing. 
If I love others with my finances, I'm not going to have enough for myself. If I love my spouse in an unconditional way, where they give me what I need back, I'm single, and I don't know the righteous way. I don't know if I can wait to handle my sexuality in the right way. Do you believe that God will provide for you? Uh, my, my job, like, I, I need to make money, so even though this might be a dishonest way to do it, I need to make money. But my kids, i got to control them because they don't know, do you trust God with your kids? Well, I've, I've got to work and, and force and push and achieve so I can feel good about myself. Well, do you believe what God says about you so you don't need to go push and try to achieve? But I, I've got to pretend that I'm spiritual and that God loves me because inside I don't feel like he loves me. Well, it's because you don't believe what God says about you. Let's bring it back around to the letter. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And if God so loved us, like, then we're free to love one another. And if we love one another, then that's where God, you could just, you know that God is in you. And you become part of his plan, bringing his love to the world. And his plan becomes accomplished, completed, perfected when we carry it out. See, I think we're backwards if we, what if we could go into the world and, and regulate with laws all of the Christian ideals, right? Okay, there's no abortion, you know, this is our stance on same-sex relations, this is our stance on, you know, uh, drugs, this is our stance on alcohol. Um, what happens when you regulate character? What ends up happening? Rebellion, right? Rebellion. There's, there's rules without relationship. It only can be one thing, rebellion. You can't drink anymore. Prohibition, right? Okay, this drug was illegal, and now it's legal. That's boring now, so let's get a new illegal drug, right? So that's why we can't just keep legalizing things. Or like, I was 19, it was fun to drink, but now that I'm 22, it's boring because it's allowed, right? There's this rebellion, there's these rules that we have, and we want to rebel against those, which really, really the Christian idea, what Jesus is saying is like, you can't go tell the whole world what to think. You can love your neighbor in such a way that they're not going to choose evil. And that completes God's plan. You want to stop abortion? Everyone who believes and trusts God should raise and love their daughters and sons in such a way that they don't put themselves in spots where they need to have abortions. You get that, right? Like, even, even Christian people against it would study it if they could survey why the women were having abortions because they got in situations they didn't want to be in. And this seemed to be the only way out. 
You know, same-sex attraction. Psychology says that it's often triggered, and I don't, I don't understand it because I, I don't have it. Um, other problems, but not that, okay? So, but that is often can be triggered from trauma, from things with the way that they grew up or something that happened to them. What if nothing happened to them? What if in your home they were loved? Murder, you know? All those things, man. It's just like you can see, even when you get in the schools and you see the kids and you sit in class, you can see the ones whose parents are so distracted because they don't trust God. And these kids got to reach out to the world that it starts young, right? 12, they become 22-year-olds like this, 32-year-olds like this, 42-year-olds like this, have some kids of their own, and it just keeps going cyclical. So if we could love our neighbor being the people in our house, the people we come in contact with, with an unconditional type of love, like God, his plan would be complete and our social issues will work themselves out. And so if we want to sit here and talk about social issues, this is not the place for it. We're part of God building a kingdom where his sons and daughters receive his love and share it with the world around them. And in that becomes perfect. And until we do that, the world lost Jesus and never got the new plan. The world lost the presence of Jesus and never got the new plan that his believers would carry his truth and his love to the world that needs it. It's enough talking for me. So, um, to love like God loves. So I invite the worship team to come back up. I trust that some of you are, are tired and don't care about what I said, and I trust that other of you, others of you, the Holy Spirit, really wanted to talk to you about this area. Um, and what he wants, I can try to guess. You know, that's what you do, right? When you're the pastor, you're like, well, if you have this and if you have that. I, I don't know what it is, Maybe, but if you're not trusting him with all of your life, there's still room to grow. If you're not trusting him with all of your life, you haven't arrived yet. And so uh, what's cool is sometimes traditions are cool. And one of, one of the really cool uh, things that we do that help us remember, right, is what we refer to as communion. And so we have it set up back here for each one of you. If you would find this helpful today, um, and what I want to charge you with is is this. I, w- I want to charge you with working on your receipt of God's love. I, w- I want you to receive. God's love at a measure fuller than you ever have before. Because everything that we've talked about here, according to these letters that we were given, authored by the Holy Spirit, that's what it comes down to is your love, your willingness to receive truth, even your willingness 
to understand what's written in the Bible. Like, you can't just love people. You can't just study the Bible. You can't just go to church. You're going to have to receive God's deep and penetrating and changing love. This is a powerful exercise to remember that. See, because there's two cups here. And one is simple grape juice, let's talk. And one is little Jesus crackers or whatever, okay? But that, what it is is, an important, is important is what it symbolizes. And so whenever we do this, we do this because we remember Jesus. And really that, we remember his love. Because, you know, the wine that they had, the juice that we have, it looks like blood. And it symbolizes his blood that while we were still sinners, before we were willing to give up any of our life for him, let alone all of it, that he spilled his blood for you and I. And then the bread uh, symbolized his body, which was broken for you and I. And, and together, it just symbolizes love like we've never known. And so, I'm going to pray, and then I invite you. There'll be a couple songs, right, Ross, probably, and then you, have, you can come back and take some time of communion. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about whatever that next step is. Maybe you've never even trusted Jesus to begin with. Like, that's got to start if someone told you, get your life together and then come to Jesus, that's like wrong. That's wrong. Everything I'm telling you, anything, your ability to follow what the scriptures say or even understand them is reliant on you receiving his love to start with. So if you've never done that, like, let's do that. Would you come see me? I'm like, I'm gonna sit up here. I don't have to put you on the spot, but we'll, we'll talk, we'll pray together. Receive his love anew. Let his love penetrate you. And only in that, will overflow to the point where you begin to love the people around you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for remembrance. I thank you for what the brothers and sisters in the first century, um, their faithfulness and persecution to write the messages that you gave to them through the Holy Spirit and that we could share and that they've been messages for believers and followers of Christ since the day you walked the earth until the last day that you come back. And so today we sit here, Lord, and we we ask you to speak to us. Um, Just continue to work in our life and trusting you and receiving your love. And I pray that we take this reflective time and we would would ask that you would just bless this, this time of communion, this love supper with you, this love feast where we see what it is to be really loved, that you would shed your blood and break your body to save me. We pray in your power and in your name and your authority, Jesus. Amen.